these. I was just talking about this guy, a whistleblower, um, who said that there were these, you know, there, there are many beings that have come to this planet, but there, there's a, there is a dog-headed one, and there's, uh, like, uh, not a monkey, uh, oh, yeah, and, and because I, I remember because he was this whistleblower, I forget his name, um, but they do a lot of shows on it, like, uh, what is it called, Cosmic Exposure or something, no, it's, uh, Disclosure on Gaia, one of those, one of the, um, shoot. Anyway, so uh, he said that he had this interaction with one of these beings and they were, he was struck with, it was kind of amusing that they had, um, these little monkeys for, for, um, heads. We had dog, no, or, no, that's, we have dogs for pets, and they have little humans or monkeys or something like that. Anyway. So let's get back to the show, man. Thanks for 163K. And uh, I don't have any ads. Because I don't like ads. And I'm not doing this for the Monet. Um, the power that be won't even let me do that anyway. Or probably some hackers are taking any... Any... Um, proceeds or something and because I'm being geofenced so if you do uh, dig my podcast for the politics or the ancient history the break groundbreaking I think it's uh, pretty exciting actually the archaeo- uh, the field of archaeology um, you know politics and archaeology that's kind of like my my cup of tea. Speaking of which, but it's my tea. So let's get back to the show, man. Very fascinating. They're talking about the Epic of Creation, Epic of Gilgamesh, this gen- um, Genesis. That's where the Bible, they, they plagiarized it. Parts of it from the Epic of Gilgamesh, parts of it from the Epic of Creation, parts of it from the, um, you know... Uh, they, they cherry-picked. Wow, what a cool song, man. I've been hearing this song for so long. Oh. Catch me Strictly that you don't play around, cover much ground, got game all around. Getting paid is a forte, each and every day, true play away. 
Got to be stay kicking game with a capital G. Ask the people on my block, I'm as good as can be. Working hard, taking moves, never been my thing. So, Teddy, pass the word to your biggest choices. I'll be sending the call and say around 3 30. Queen, pay me
be out. KPYT LP Tucson. KPYU LP Opasqua Village. Anyway. Yeah, KPYT Pasquayaki Tribal Radio. So let's get back to the Anunnaki, man. Hmm. The union of these two entities gave birth to the younger gods. Okay, hold on. You were given the kingship. Such was your destiny. Everlasting life was not your destiny. This is an epic of Gilgamesh. Because of this, do not despair at heart. Do not be grieved or oppressed. He has given you power to bind and to root. To be the darkness and the light of mankind. He has given unexampled supremacy over the people, victory in battle, from which no fugitive returns, and forays and assaults, from which there is no going back. But do not abuse this power. Deal justly with your servants in the past. Deal justly before the face of the sun. The king has laid himself down and will not rise again. Lord of Kula will not rise again. He overcame evil. He will not come again. Though he was strong of arms, he will not rise again. Yeah, he what happened to Gilgamesh at He the will end. not come again. Into the washing place. There he shall wash his long hair clean of snow and the water. He shall throw off his skin. And let the sea carry them away. His mate Enkidu. And the beauty of his body died. shall be shown. The slit on his forehead shall be renewed, and he shall be given clothes to cover his nakedness. Till he reaches his own city, and his journey is accomplished, these clothes will show no sign of age. They will wear the like fillet? a new garment. So on his forehead? Gilgamesh, and led him to the washing place. He washed his long hair as clean as snow in the water. He threw off his skin, which the sea carried away, and showed the beauty of his body. He renewed the fillet on his forehead, and to cover his nakedness, gave him clothes which would show no sign of age, but would wear like a new garment till he reached his own city, and his journey was accomplished. Then Gilgamesh and Ashanabi launched the boat onto the water, Ashanabi, that sounds like Asanabi. Minnesota. But the wife of Udnapishtim, the far away, said to him, Gilgamesh came here, wearied out. He is worn out. What will you give him to carry him back to his own country? So Udnapishtim spoke, and Gilgamesh took a pole and brought the boat into the bank. Gilgamesh, you came here, a man, wearied out. You have worn yourself out. What shall I give you to carry you back to your own country? Gilgamesh, I shall reveal a secret thing. It is a mystery of the gods that I am telling you. There is a plant that grows under the water. It has a prickle like a thorn, like a rose. It will wound your hand. But if you succeed in taking it, then your hands will hold that which restores his lost youth. To a man. And the hell is that? This, he opened so that a sweet water current might carry him out to the deepest channel. He tied heavy stones to his feet and they dragged him down. 
returned to the waterbed. There he saw the plant growing. Although it pricked him, he took it in his hand. Then he cut the heavy stones from his feet, and the sea carried him and threw him onto the shore. With the mesh, said to Ursanabe the sediment, Come here and see this marvelous plant. By its virtue, a man may win back all his former strength. I will take it to the rook of the strong walls. There I will give it to the old men to eat. Its name shall be The Old Men Are Young Again. Uh-huh. And at last I shall eat it myself and have back all my lost youth. So Gilgamesh returned by the gate through which he had come. Gilgamesh and Urshanabi went together. They travelled their twenty leagues and then they broke their fast. After thirty leaves, they stopped for the night. Yugamesh saw a well of cool water, and he went down and bathed. But deep in the pool, there was nine a serpent, and the serpent sensed the sweetness of the flower. It rose out of the water and snatched it away, and immediately it sloughed its skin and returned to the well. Then Gilgamesh sat down and wept. The tears ran down his face, and he took the hand of Urshanabe. Oh, Urshanabe, was it for this that I tore with my hand? Is it for this I have wrung out my heart's blood? For myself I have gained nothing. Not I, but the beast of the earth has joy of it now. Already the stream has carried it twenty leagues back to the channels where I found it. I found a sign, and now I have lost it. Let us leave the boat on the bank and go. After twenty leagues, they broke their fast. After thirty leagues, they stopped for the night. In three days they had walked as much as a journey of a month and fifteen days. When the journey was accomplished, they arrived at Uruk, the strong-walled city. Gilgamesh spoke to him, to Urshanabe the Theremon. Urshanabe, climb up onto the wall of Uruk, inspect its foundation terrace, and examine well the brickwork. See if it is not of burnt brick. Did not the seven wise men lay these foundations? One third of the whole is city, one third is gun, and one third is field, with the precinct of the goddess Ishtar. These parts and the precinct are all Uruk. This too was the work of Dugamesh, the king, who knew the countries of the world. He was wise, he saw mysteries, and knew secret things. He brought us a tale of the days before the flood. He went a long journey, was weary, worn out with labour, and returning, engraved on a stone, the whole story. The destiny was fulfilled, which the father of the gods, Enlil of the mountain, had decreed for Gilgamesh. In never earth the darkness will show him a light. Of man
mankind, all that are known, none will leave a monument for generations to come to compare with his. The heroes, the wise men, like the new moon, have their waxing and waning. Men will say, who has ever ruled with might and with power like him? As in the dark months, a month of shadows, so without him there is no light. Oh, Gilgamesh, this was the meaning of your dream. You were given the kinship, such was your destiny. Everlasting life was not your destiny. Because of this, do not be sad at heart. Do not be grieved or oppressed. He has given you power to bind and to roost, to be the darkness and the light of mankind. He has given unexampled supremacy over the people, victory in battle, from which no fugitive returns, in forays and assaults, from which there is no going back. But do not abuse this power. Deal justly with your servants in the palace. Deal justly before the face of the sun. The king has laid himself down and will not rise again. The lord of Kula will not rise again. He overcame evil. He will not come again. Though he was strong of arm, he will not rise again. He had wisdom and a comely face. He will not come again. He is gone into the mountain. He will not come again. On the bed of fate he lies. He will not rise again. From the couch of many colours. He will not come again. The people of the city, great and small, are not silent. They lift up the lament. All men of flesh and blood lift up the lament. Fate has spoken like a hooked fish. He lies stretched on the bed like a gazelle that is caught in a noose. Inhuman Namta is heavy upon him. Namta that has neither hand nor foot, that drinks no water and eats no meat. For Gilgamesh, son of Nimsun, they weighed out their offering. His dear wife, his son, his concubine, his musicians, his jester, and all his household, his servants, his stewards, all who lived in the palace, weighed out their offerings for Gilgamesh, the son of Ninsun, the heart of Uruk. They weighed out their offerings to Erish Kigal, the queen of death, and to all the gods of the dead, to Nanta, who is fate, they weighed out the offering. <laughs> Bread for Neti, the keeper of the gate. Bread for Ningizida, the god of the serpent, the lord of the tree of life. For Damuzai, also the young shepherd. For Enki and Ninki. For Enukuga and Nindukuga. For Enmul and Ninmul, all the ancestral gods, forebears of Endu. A feast for Surpi, the god of feasting. For Samu Khan, god of the herds, for the mother Ninhusak, and the gods of creation in the place of creation, for the host of heaven, priest and priestess, weighed out the offering of the dead. Gilgamesh, the son of Ninsun, lies in the tomb. At the place of offerings, 
he waved the bread offering. At the place of libation, he poured out the wine. In those days, the Lord Gilgamesh departed, the son of Ninsun, the king peerless, without an equal among men, who did not neglect to enlil his master. O Gilgamesh, Lord of Kula, great is thy praise. The Enuma Elish, also known as the Seven Tablets of Creation, is the Mesopotamian creation myth whose title is derived from the opening lines of the piece, When on High. All of the tablets containing the myth, found at Ashur, Kish, Ashur Bonapal's library at Nineveh, Sultan Tepe, and other excavated sites, date to circa 1200 BCE but their colophons indicate that these are all copies of a much older version of the myth, dating from long before the fall of Sumer in circa 1750 BCE. As Marduk, the champion of the young gods in their war against Tiamat, is of Babylonian origin, the Sumerian Ea Enki, or Enlil, is thought to have played the major role in the original version of the story. The copy found at Ashur has the god Ashur in the main role, as was the custom of the cities of Mesopotamia. The god of each city was always considered the best and most powerful. Marduk, the god of Babylon, only figures as prominently as he does in the story because most of the copies found are from Babylonian scribes. Even so, Ayat does still play an important part in the Babylonian version of the Enuma Elish by creating human beings. Summary of the story. The story, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, in the world, concerns the birth of the gods and the creation of the universe and human beings. In the beginning, there was only undifferentiated water swirling in chaos. Out of this swirl, the water is divided into sweet, fresh water, known as the god Apsu, and salty, bitter water, the goddess Tiamat. Once differentiated, the union of these two entities gave birth to the younger gods. These young gods, however, were extremely loud, troubling the sleep of Apsu at night and distracting him from his work by day. Upon the advice of his vizier, Mungo, Apsu decides to kill the younger gods. Tiamat, hearing of their plan, warns her eldest son, Enki, sometimes Ea, and he puts Apsu to sleep and kills him. From Apsu's remains, Enki creates his home. Tiamat, once the supporter of the younger gods, now is enraged that they have killed her mate. She consults with the goddess Kungu, who advises her to make war on the younger gods. Tiamat rewards Kungu with the tablets of destiny, which legitimize the rule of a god and control the fates, and he wears them proudly as a breastplate. With Kungu as her champion, Tiamat summons the forces of chaos and creates eleven horrible monsters to destroy her children. Ea, Enki, and the younger gods fight against Tiamat futilely until, 
From among them emerges the champion Marduk, who swears he will defeat Tiamat. Marduk defeats Kuingu and kills Tiamat by shooting her with an arrow which splits her in two. From her eyes flow the waters of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Out of Tiamat's court, Marduk creates the heavens and the earth. He appoints gods to various beauties and binds Tiamat's eleven creatures to his feet as curses to my adulation from the other gods, before setting their images in his new home. He also takes the Tablets of Destiny from Queen Goose, thus legitimizing his reign. After the gods have finished praising him for his great victory and the art of his creation, Marduk consults with the god Ea, the god of wisdom, and decides to create human beings from the remains of whichever of the gods instigated Tiamat to war. Kuingu is charged as guilty and killed, and from his blood, Ea creates Lulu, the first man, to be a helper to the gods in their eternal task of maintaining order and keeping chaos at bay. As the poem phrases it, Ea created mankind, on whom he imposed the service of the gods, and set the gods free. Following this, Marduk arranged the organization of the netherworld, and distributed the gods to their appointed stations. The poem ends in Tablet 7, with long praise of Marduk for his accomplishments. Commentary the Enuma Elish would later be the inspiration for the Hebrew scribes, who created the text now known as the Biblical Book of Genesis. Prior to the 19th century CE, the Bible was considered the oldest book in the world, and its narratives were thought to be completely original. In the mid-19th century CE, however, European museums, as well as academic and religious institutions, sponsored excavations in Mesopotamia to find physical evidence for historical corroboration of the stories in the Bible. These excavations found quite the opposite, however, in that once cuneiform was translated, it was understood that a number of biblical narratives were Mesopotamian in origin. Famous stories such as the fall of man and the great flood were originally conceived and written down in Sumer, translated and modified later in Babylon, and reworked by the Assyrians before they were used by the Hebrew scribes for the versions which appear in the Bible. Although the basic paradigm of the biblical narratives and the Mesopotamian stories align closely, there are still significant differences, as noted by scholar Stephen Bertman. Both Genesis and Enuma Elish are religious texts which detail and celebrate cultural origins. Genesis describes the origin and founding of the Jewish people under the guidance of the Lord. Enuma Elish recounts the origin and founding of Babylon under the leadership of the god Marduk. Contained in each work is a story of how the cosmos and man were created. Each work begins by describing the watery chaos and primeval darkness that once filled the universe. Then light is created to replace the darkness. Afterward, the heavens are made, and in them, heavenly bodies are placed. Finally, man is created. These similarities notwithstanding, 
the two accounts are more different than alike. In revising the Mesopotamian creation story for their own ends, the Hebrew scribes tightened the narrative and the focus, but retained the concept of the all-powerful deity who brings order from chaos. Marduk, in the Enuma Elish, establishes the recognizable order of the world, just as God does in the Genesis tale, and human beings are expected to recognize this great gift and honor the deity through service. In Mesopotamia, in fact, it was thought that humans were co-workers with the gods to maintain the gift of creation and keep the forces of chaos at bay. The Enuma Elish in Babylon Marduk gained prominence in Babylon during the reign of Hammurabi, 1792-1750 BCE, and superseded the popular goddess Inanna in worship. During Hammurabi's reign, in fact, a number of previously popular female deities were replaced by male gods. The Enuma Elish, praising Marduk as the most powerful of all the gods, therefore became increasingly popular as the god himself rose in prominence and his city of Babylon grew in power. Scholar Jeremy Black writes, The rise of the cult of Marduk is closely connected with the political rise of Babylon from city-state to the capital of an empire. From the Kassite period, Marduk became more and more important until it was possible for the author of the Babylonian Epic of Creation to maintain that not only was Marduk king of all the gods, but that many of the latter were no more than aspects of his persona. The Enuma Elish was read and recited widely throughout Mesopotamia, but was especially important at the New Year festival in Babylon. During this festival, the statue of Marduk would be taken from the temple and, amidst the revelers, was paraded through the streets of the city, out the gates, to vacation in a small house built for this purpose. The Enuma Elish, especially, it is thought, the praise from Tablet 7, would be sung or chanted during this procession. The Text of Enuma Elish the following translation comes from Mesopotamian Creation Stories by W.G. Lambert and is used under Creative Commons license from the Etana website. Enuma Elish, the Babylonian Epic of Creation. Tablet 1 When the heavens above did not exist, and earth beneath had not come into being, there was Apsu, the first in order, their begetter, and Demiurge Tiamat, who gave birth to them all. They had mingled their waters together, before Meadowland had coalesced and Reedbed was to be found, when not one of the gods had been formed, or had come into being, when no destinies had been decreed. The gods were created within them. Lachmu and Lahamu were formed and came into being. While they grew and increased in stature, Anshar and Kishar, who excelled them, were created. They prolonged their days, they multiplied their years. Anu, their son, could rival his father's. 
Anu, the son, equaled Ancha, and Anu begat Nudimud, his own equal. Nudimud was the champion among his fathers, profoundly discerning, wise, of robust strength, very much stronger than his father's begetter, Anshar. He had no rival among the gods, his brothers. The divine brothers came together. Their clamor got loud, throwing Tiamat into a turmoil. They jarred the nerves of Tiamat, and by their dancing they spread alarm in Anduruna. Apsu did not diminish their clamor, and Tiamat was silent when confronted with them. Their conduct was displeasing to her. Yet, though their behavior was not good, she wished to spare them. Thereupon, Apsu, the begetter of the great gods, called Mumu, his vizier, and addressed him. Vizier Mumu, who gratifies my pleasure, come, let us go to Tiamat. They went and sat, facing Tiamat, as they conferred about the gods, their sons. Apsu opened his mouth and addressed Tiamat. Their behavior has become displeasing to me, and I cannot rest in the daytime or sleep at night. I will destroy and break up their way of life, that silence may reign and we may sleep. When Tiamat heard this, she raged and cried out to her spouse. She cried in distress, fuming within herself. She grieved over the plotted evil. How can we destroy what we have given birth to? Though their behavior causes distress, let us tighten discipline graciously. Mumu spoke up with counsel for Apsu, as from a rebellious vizier was the counsel of his Mumu, destroy my father that lawless way of life, that you may rest in the daytime and sleep by night. Apsu was pleased with him, his face beamed, because he had plotted evil against the gods, his sons. Mumu put his arms around Apsu's neck, he sat on his knees, kissing him. What they plotted in their gathering was reported to the gods, their sons. The gods heard it and were frantic. They were overcome with silence and sat quietly. Aya, who excels in knowledge, the skilled and learned, Aya, who knows everything, perceived their tricks. He fashioned it and made it to be all-embracing. He executed it skillfully as supreme, his pure incantation. He recited it and set it on the waters. He poured sleep upon him as he was slumbering deeply. He put Apsu to slumber as he poured out sleep. And Mumu, the counselor, was breathless with agitation. He split Apsu's sinews, ripped off his crown, carried away his aura, and put it on himself. He bound Apsu and killed him. Mumu he confined and handled roughly. He set his dwelling upon Apsu and laid hold on Mumu, keeping the nose rope in his hand. After Aya had bound and slain his enemies, had achieved victory over his foes, he rested quietly in his chamber. He called it Apsu, whose shrines he appointed. Then he founded his living quarters within it, and Ea and Damkina, his wife, sat in splendor. In the chamber of the destinies, the room of the archetypes, the wisest of the wise, the sage of the gods, Ba'el, 
was conceived. In Apsuk was Marduk born. In pure Apsuk was Marduk born. Ea his father begat him. Damkina his mother bore him. He sucked the breasts of goddesses. A nurse reared him and filled him with terror. His figure was well developed. The glance of his eyes was dazzling. His growth was manly. He was mighty from the beginning. Anu, his father's begetter, saw him. He exulted and smiled, his heart filled with joy. Anu rendered him perfect. His divinity was remarkable, and he became very lofty, excelling them in his attributes. His members were incomprehensibly wonderful, incapable of being grasped with the mind, hard even to look on. Four were his eyes, four his ears. Flame shot forth as he moved his lips. His four ears grew large, and his eyes likewise took in everything. His figure was lofty and superior in comparison with the gods. His limbs were surpassing his nature was superior. Mari Utu, Mari Utu, the sun, the sun god, the sun god of the gods. He was clothed with the aura of the ten gods. So exalted was his strength. The fifty dreads were loaded upon him. Anu formed and gave birth to the four winds. He delivered them to him. My son, let them quarrel. He formed dust and set a hurricane to drive it. He made a wave to bring consternation on Tiamat. Tiamat was confounded. Day and night she was frantic. The gods took no rest. They, in their minds, they plotted evil and addressed their mother Tiamat. When Apsu, your spouse, was killed, you did not go at his side but sat quietly. The four dreadful winds have been fashioned to throw you into confusion, and we cannot sleep. You gave no thought to Apsu, your spouse, nor to Mumu, who is a prisoner. Now you sit alone. Henceforth you will be in frantic consternation, and as for us who cannot rest, you do not love us. Consider our burden. Our eyes are hollow. Break the immovable yoke that we may sleep. Make battle. Avenge them, reduced to nothingness. Tiamat heard. The speech pleased her. She said, let us make demons as you have advised. The gods assembled within her. They conceived evil against the gods, their begetters. They, and took the side of Tiamat. She fought by resting by night and day, lusting to night, great storms. They set up a host to bring about conflict. Mother Fugler, who forms everything, supplied irresistible weapons and gave birth to giant serpents. They had sharp teeth. They were merciless. With poison instead of blood, she filled their bodies. She clothed the fearful monsters with dread. She loaded them with an aura and made them godlike. She said, Let their onlooker feebly perish. May they constantly leap forward and never retire. She created the Hydra, the dragon, the hairy hero, 
the great demon, the savage dog, and the scorpion man, fierce demons, the fish man, and the bull man, carriers of merciless weapons, fearless in the face of battle. Her commands were tremendous, not to be resisted. Although she made eleven of that time, among the gods her sons, whom she constituted her host, she exalted King Gu, and magnified him among them. The leadership of the army, the direction of the host, the bearing of weapons, campaigning, the mobilization of conflict, the chief executive power of battle, supreme command. She entrusted to him, and set him on a throne. I have cast this spell for you, and exalted you in the host of the gods. I have delivered to you the rule of all the gods. You are indeed exalted, my spouse. You are renowned. Let your commands prevail over all the Anunnaki. She gave him the Tablet of Destinies and fastened it to his breast, saying, Your order may not be changed. Let the utterance of your mouth be firm. After Chingu was elevated and had acquired the power of Anu-ship, he decreed the destinies for the gods, her sons. May the utterance of your mouths subdue the fire god. May your poison by its accumulation put down aggression. Tablet 2. Tien gathered together her creation and organized battle against the gods, her offspring. Henceforth, Tiamat plotted evil because of Apsu. It became known to Ea that she had arranged the conflict. Ea heard this matter. He lapsed into silence in his chamber and sat motionless. After he had reflected and his anger had subsided, he directed his steps to Anshar, his father. He entered the presence of the father of his begetter, Anshar, and related to him all of Tiamat's plotting. My father, Tiamat, our mother, has conceived a hatred for us. She has established a host in her savage fury. All the gods have turned to her. Even those you begat also take her side. They and took the side of Tiamat, fiercely plotting, unresting by night and day, lusting for battle, raging, storming. They set up a host to bring about conflict. Mother Huber who forms everything, supplied irresistible weapons, and gave birth to giant serpents. They had sharp teeth. They were merciless. With poison instead of blood, she filled their bodies. She clothed the fearful monsters with dread. She loaded them with an aura and made them godlike. She said, Let their onlooker feebly perish. May they constantly leap forward and never retire. Wow. She created the Hydra, the dragon, the hairy hero, the great demon, the savage dog, and the scorpion man, fierce demons, the fish man, and the bull man, carriers of merciless weapons, fearless in the face of battle. Her commands were tremendous, not to be resisted. Although she made eleven of that kind, among the gods her sons whom she constituted her host, she exalted Chingu and magnified him among them. The leadership of the army, the direction of the host, the bearing of weapons, campaigning, 
the mobilization of conflict, the chief executive power of battle, supreme command, she entrusted to him and set him on a throne. I have cast a spell for you and exalted you in the host of the gods. I have delivered to you the rule of all the gods. You are indeed exalted, my spouse. You are renowned. Let your commands prevail over all the Anunnaki. She gave him the Tablet of Destinies and fastened it to his breast, saying, Your order may not be changed. Let the utterance of your mouth be firm. What is the Tablet of Destinies? After Kingu was elevated and had acquired the power of Anunnaki, he decreed the destinies for the gods, her sons. May the utterance of your mouth subdue the fire god. May your poison by its accumulation put down aggression. And her. The matter was profoundly disturbing. He cried, Woe, and bit his lip. His heart was in fury. His mind could not be calmed. Over Ea, his son, his cry was faltering. My son, you who provoked the war, take responsibility for whatever you alone have done. You set out and killed Apsu. And as for Tiamat, whom you made furious, where is her equal? The gatherer of counsel, the learned prince, the creator of wisdom, the god Mudimud, with soothing words and calming utterance, Gently answered his father and my father, deep mind, who decrees destiny, who has the power to bring into being and destroy, and deep mind, who decrees destiny, who has the power to bring into being and to destroy. I want to say something to you. Calm down for me for a moment and consider that I performed a helpful deed. Before I killed Afsu, who could have seen the present situation? Before I quickly made an end of him, what were the circumstances were I to destroy him? Anshar heard. The words pleased him. His heart relaxed to speak to A. My son, your deeds are fitting for a god. You are capable of a fierce, unequaled blow. Aya, your deeds are fitting for a god. You are capable of a fierce, unequaled blow. Go before Tiamat and appease her attack, her fury, with your incantation. He heard the speech of Anshar, his father. He took the road to her, proceeded on the route to her. He went. He perceived the tricks of Tiamat. He stopped, fell silent, and turned back. He entered the presence of Anshar, the father who begat him penitently addressing him. My father, Tiamat's deeds are too much for me. I perceived her planning, but my incantation was not equal to it. Her strength is mighty. She is full of dread. She is altogether very strong. No one can go against her. Her very loud noise does not diminish. I became afraid of her cry and turned back. My father, do not lose hope. Send another person against her. Though a woman's strength is very great, it is not equal to a man's. Disband her cohorts. Break up her plans before she lays her hands on us. Anshar lapsed into silence, staring at the ground. He nodded to Ea, shaking his head. The Igidi and all the Anunnaki had assembled. They sat in tight-lipped silence. 
No god would go to face, would go out against Tiamat. Yet the Lord Anshar, the father of the great gods, was angry in his heart, and did not summon anyone. A mighty son, the avenger of his father, he who hastens to war, the warrior Marduk. Ea summoned him to his private chamber to explain to him his plans. Marduk, give counsel. Listen to your father. You are my son who gives me pleasure. Go reverently before Anshar. Speak, take your stand, appease him with your glance. Ba'el rejoiced at his father's words. He drew near and stood in the presence of Anshar. Anshar saw him, his heart filled with satisfaction. He kissed his lips and removed his fear. My father, do not hold your peace, but speak forth. I will go and fulfill your desires. Anshar, do not hold your peace, but speak forth. I will go and fulfill your desires. Which man has drawn up his battle array against you? And will Tiamat, who is a woman, attack you with her weapons? My father, begetter, rejoice and be glad. Soon you will tread on the neck of Tiamat. Anshar, begetter, rejoice and be glad. Soon you will tread on the neck of Tiamat. Go, my son, conversant with all knowledge, appease Tiamat with your pure spell. Drive the stone chariot without delay, and with a which cannot be repelled, turn her back. Baal rejoiced at his father's words. With glad heart he addressed his father. Lord of the gods, destiny of the great gods, if I should become your avenger, if I should bind Tiamat and preserve you, convene an assembly and proclaim for me an exalted destiny. Sit, all of you, in Upshuk with gladness, and let me, with my utterance, decree destinies instead of you. Whatever I instigate must not be changed, nor may my command be nullified or altered. Tablet 3 Anshar opened his mouth and addressed Kaka, his vizier. Vizier Kaka, who gratifies my pleasure, I will send you to Lahmu and Laamu. You are skilled in making inquiry, learned in address. Have the gods my fathers brought to my presence. Let all the gods be brought. Let them confer as they sit at table. Let them eat grain. Let them drink ale. Let them decree the destiny for Marduk, their avenger. Go. Be gone, Kaka. Stand before them, and repeat to them all that I tell you. Anshar, your son, has sent me and I am to explain his plans. I sent Anu, but he could not face her. Nudimut took fright and retired. Marduk, the sage of the gods, your son, has come forward. He has determined to meet Tiamat. He has spoken to me and said, Quickly now, decree your destiny for him without delay, that he may go and face your powerful enemy. Kaka went. He directed his steps to Lahmu and Lahamu, the gods his fathers. He prostrated himself. He kissed the ground before them. He got up, saying to them he stood. When Lahaha and Lahamu heard, they cried aloud. 
All the Igigi moaned in distress. What has gone wrong? That she took this decision about us. We did not know what Tiamat was doing. All the great gods who decreed destinies gathered as they went. They entered the presence of Anshar, and they became filled with joy. They kissed one another as they, in the assembly, they conferred as they sat at table. They ate grain. They drank ale. They strained the sweet liquor through their straws. As they drank beer and felt good, they became quite carefree. Their mood was merry, and they decreed the fate for Marduk, their avenger. Tablet 4 They set a lordly dais for him, and he took his seat before his fathers to receive kingship. They said, You are the most honored among the great gods. Your destiny is unequaled. Your command is like honors. Marduk, you are the most honored among the great gods. Your destiny is unequaled. Your command is like Anu's. Henceforth your order will not be annulled. It is in your power to exalt and abase. Your utterance is sure. Your command cannot be rebelled against. None of the gods will transgress the line you draw. Shrines for all the gods needs provisioning. That you may be established where their sanctuaries are. You are Marduk, our avenger. We have given you kingship over the sum of the whole universe. Take your seat in the assembly. Let your word be exalted. Let your weapons not miss the mark, but may they slay your enemies. Baal, spare him who trusts in you, but destroy the god who set his mind on evil. They set a constellation in the middle and addressed Marduk, their son. Your destiny, Baal, is superior to that of all the gods. Command and bring about annihilation and recreation. Let the constellation disappear at your utterance. With a second command, let the constellation reappear. He gave the command, and the constellation disappeared. With a second command, the constellation came into being again. When the gods, his fathers, saw the effect of his utterance, they rejoiced and offered congratulation. Marduk is the king. They addressed to him a mace, a throne, and a rod. They gave him an irresistible weapon that overwhelms the foe. They said, go, cut Tiamat's throat, and let the winds bear up her blood to give the news. The gods, his fathers, decreed the destiny of Baal, set him on the road, the way of prosperity and success. He fashioned a bow and made it his weapon. He set an arrow in place, put the bowstring on. He took up his club and held it in his right hand. His bow and quiver he hung at his side. He placed lightning before him and filled his body with tongues of flame. He made a net to enmesh the entrails of Tiamat, and stationed the four winds that no part of her escape. The south wind, the north wind, the east wind, the west wind. He put beside his net winds given by his father, Anu. He fashioned the evil wind, the dust storm, tempest, the fourfold wind, the sevenfold wind, the chaos-spreading wind, the wind.
he set out the seven winds that he had fashioned, and they took their stand behind him to harass Tiamat's entrails. Baal took up the storm flood, his great weapon. He rode the fearful chariot of the irresistible storm. Four steeds he yoked to it, and harnessed them to it, the destroyer, the merciless, the trampler, the fleet. Their lips were parted, their teeth bore venom. They were strangers to weariness, trained to sweep forward. At his right hand he stationed raging battle and strife. On the left, conflict that overwhelms a united battle array. He was clad in a tunic, a fearful coat of mail, and on his head he wore an aura of terror. Baal proceeded and set out on his way. He set his face toward the raging Tiamat. In his lips he held a spell. He grasped a plant to counter poison in his hand. Thereupon they milled around him. The gods milled around him. The gods, his fathers, milled around him. The gods milled around him. Baal drew near, surveying the maw of Tiamat. He observed the tricks of Chingu, her spouse. As he looked, he lost his nerve. His determination went, and he faltered. His divine aides, who were marching at his side, saw the warrior, the foremost, and their vision became dim. Tiamat cast her spell without turning her neck. In her lips she held untruth and lies. In there they have assembled by you. Baal lifted up the storm flood, his great weapon, and with these words threw it at the raging Tiamat. Why are you aggressive and arrogant and strive to provoke battle? The younger generation have shouted, outraging their elders, but you, their mother, hold pity in contempt. Chingu you have named to be your spouse, and you have improperly appointed him to the rank of Anushib. Against Anshar, king of the gods, you have stirred up trouble, and against the gods, my fathers, your trouble is established. Deploy your troops, gird on your weapons, you and I will take our stand and do battle. When Tiamat heard this, she went insane and lost her reason. Tiamat cried aloud and fiercely. All her lower members trembled beneath her. She was reciting an incantation, kept reciting her spell, while the battle gods were sharpening their weapons of war. Tiamat and Marduk, the sage of the gods, came together, joining in strife, drawing near to battle. Baal spread out his net and enmeshed her. He let loose the evil wind, the rear guard, in her face. Tiamat opened her mouth to swallow it. She let the evil wind in so that she could not close her lips. The fierce winds weighed down her belly. Her inwards were distended, and she opened her mouth wide. He let fly an arrow and pierced her belly. He tore open her entrails and slit her inwards. He bound her and extinguished her life. He threw down her corpse and stood on it. After he had killed Tiamat, the leader, her assembly dispersed, her host scattered. Her divine aides who went beside her in trembling and fear beat a retreat to save their lives. But they were completely surrounded, unable to escape. He bound them and broke their weapons. Then they lay enmeshed, sitting in a snare, 
hiding in corners filled with grief, bearing his punishment held in a prison. The eleven creatures who were laden with fearfulness, the throng of devils who went as brooms at her right hand. He put ropes upon them and bound their arms. Together with their warfare, he trampled them beneath him. Now 